The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. Cross green. Cross. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. <laughs> Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 59 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host Zandrick Ellison. Zan, we're on the fifth division in the NBA, the southeast division or the south no excuse me the southwest division which is weird because not all these teams are in the southwest but uh before we get into it how are you this morning i'm doing well you know the fiba world cup just ended so i think this is now officially the deadest point of basketball right don't you think like there's really nothing new going on for the next few weeks but we're still going strong we're still talking about the the southwest division yeah, Southwest Division. I, the FIBA World Cup, I really want it to be a thing. I don't know why they don't just make it uh, two years from the Olympics. I think it would be more of a thing if they did it that way. And again, this is not to make excuses for anything that's happened with the NBA. I believe they finished a disappointing seventh after losing to France and then really kind of like laying an egg early against Serbia, coming back and then losing the game. And then they, uh, they beat, I don't even remember, who did they beat in the seventh place games? And do you remember? It was, oh, gosh, it, was on at like, it was on at like 4 a.m. It was like usually they were on at 7, and then all of a sudden I woke up and they had won the seventh place game. Yeah, I, I missed that. But um, yeah, at least, you know, at least they, they won. They ended up on a good note. I don't know. I mean, here's what I'll say. When, and, and I think you totally agree with this, and then we will go right into the Southwest Division. But this is a, by no means a, a situation, I think, where people should panic. I, I would be stunned to see them not be an overwhelming favorite on Bovada Sportsbook to start the Olympics next year. Like, if you're looking to bet on some Olympic basketball and, like, you're not betting on the U.S. because of this season, this World Cup, I, I understand your kind of trepidation, but this is not going to be the same team. They are going to get some of our better players, I, I would expect, whether that that's like Anthony Davis, Harden, you know, LeBron, Kawhi, I would be stunned if Kawhi played. But you know what I'm saying, Zan. Like, this isn't the team that's going to end up representing us in the Olympics. And it doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to win well, Olympic gold yeah. no matter what, but they're going to be overwhelming favorites at the, at the Olympic Games. Yeah, we talked about before, like, just kind of changing expectations because in these kind of tournaments, short games, you know, one and done, you can't guarantee. You know, the LeBron teams could have lost to Spain. Like, they were close games. It's possible they could have lost. So, But I still, I agree with you. I think it would be like 80% chance, or if not higher, that the, like the A team can, can come home with gold. Yeah, they'll be worse than even money to, winner, to win the gold medal. Because again, and this is another thing, you know, it seemed like people were pretty adamant that players still do care about winning Olympic gold medals. They don't seem to care about the World Cup. This is not like, this is the opposite of soccer. Whereas like the World Cup is the biggest deal and Olympic gold is like definitely second. It seems like for NBA players, Olympic gold is for sure first, and then this is second. Whereas like with European players, and I don't want to paint with a super broad brush here, but it does feel like they care about the World Cup. They, they do care about the Olympic gold medal. They, they care about Eurobasket, right? Like we see guys go play for their Eurobasket team every summer, and they care about that. So, you know, it would be interesting to see what type of interest we drum up. And also, you know, be a, a test case for that, I think, is, you know, the Hall of Fame is flawed, but 
how much do they factor in international play for Americans? Obviously they do heavily for international players, but like say like Carmelo Anthony, he has a really good Olympic track record. Is that going to be the difference between him getting in the hall of fame or not? And if that's the case, then I think players might want to like those sort of borderline hall of famers might want to win a few gold medals to make the hall of fame. Right. Like does Kemba Walker winning two gold medals if he never wins a title, but averages like 23 points a game for his career and plays a long career and scores like 20 something thousand points. Like does that get him into the hall of fame? It's interesting. Yeah. I think it, I think it matters. Like Draymond Green just recently said he's interested in playing like for a guy like that, you know, if he could come my way saying like, I won multiple titles in the NBA, won a gold medal. Like I think that does affect his legacy and his chances. Yeah. I, I actually think that's a pretty good point. And again, I would expect, you know, on this team, I, I would, Kemba Walker's going to play. I would. Miles Turner has been a part of the program for a long time. I would expect that Miles Turner will make the team again. And then after that, I would assume Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum, if they want to be part of it in terms of like young guys. But I mean, we could see a very different team moving forward. And I think, you know, again, I think it was good for these guys to get experience. I also think it's important to watch guys who are not considered to be like very good or great NBA players in a European setting and understand like why these guys come over because and Ricky Rubio is a guy that you have written about a lot and talked about a lot but like you watch Ricky Rubio playing for Spain and you watch how physical he's able to be and how he controls the game and you're like oh man like I get it you know it's it's a different style of basketball and you would think that the U.S. would have enough guys and they probably do to be able to just play the way they want and they certainly have in the past but in this particular tournament they they didn't have enough guys to be able to do that it's just the bottom line with this talented of a European basketball pool and the roster that the U S brought to the table with the time they had to prepare, they just were not able to kind of coalesce fast enough to be able to, I think really break through. I mean, I think that's the bottom line with this group of guys. And, and one last thing, and I think we'll transition into the league, but I think is natural transition. My one takeaway from the tournament was Marcus all watching Marcus all and Ricky Rubio. It, it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. It's like a joy to watch two guys with that kind of basketball IQ play together and and two things like they were like you know it's like esp like they were like winking at each other and laughing at each other that clearly like it reinforced two things for me like not only is it important to have a basketball iq of course and like understand the game but to have a teammate on that same wavelength like you know like if we're playing pickup and you are the greatest you know magic johnson level basketball iq and i don't know what the hell i'm doing you know or when to cut or where to go like it doesn't do you much good but to have like two guys who can like play that way at that high level and then also the fact that they've probably been playing together since they were what like 15 years old forever yeah a long time guys you know played around each other or maybe played aau or in all-star games like to have two guys who probably played like i don't know hundreds of games together in international play has to help a lot too I mean, I think so. I mean, I think that's why the Australian team is also like really fun to watch because those guys have all played together. If you haven't seen Andrew Bogut have like an absolute meltdown after the game and and scream and shout about where the FIBA offices is and how it's rigged, you should check that out on Twitter. But that'll probably be the last sort of Andrew Bogut information that we have this year. And I I will, you know, Zan, you're right. We should trans we should transfer into the uh, Southwest Division. The division, for those of you that don't know, because nobody knows any of the divisions is memphis new orleans dallas san antonio and houston seems real odd that this is the southwest division zan like where where is like phoenix you know like what there's no how many of these teams are actually in the southwest memphis is the midwest 100 percent. well it's mostly just um memphis and new orleans like they kind of like they're not quite sure where to throw them you know yeah 
Exactly. All right. So we're going to go uh, three teams in this division finished 33 and 49 last year. We're going to go in order of their over under on Bovada for who we talk about first. So we will talk about the Memphis Grizzlies to start last year. Like I said, 33 and 49 this year's over under on Bovada is 26 and a half. Zan, they did draft John Morant. As everyone knows, they also drafted Brandon Clark, bunch of new guys on this team, but also a very odd group of like older veterans. So here's what I'll do. Starters, this is what I think will happen. John Morant, Dylan Brooks, who they seem to be like in love with, and he missed a ton of time last year with injuries. Kyle Anderson, same deal, put about half the year. Jaron Jackson Jr., your favorite guy. And then my assumption is Jonas Valanciunas, which seems stupid because JJJ is definitely a five-man they signed Tyus Jones to what appears to be a very fair deal. They traded for Grayson Allen. They picked up Jay Crowder in the same deal. They got your guy, Josh Jackson, off the scrap heap, so they have a second JJJ. Uh, Bruno Caballo, they seem to want a lottery ticket on. They have Brandon Clark, like I said. Solomon Hill, Miles Plumley, Andre Iguodala. Super weird team. Your, your initial thoughts on this, this roster. Well, what about the new coach? And Taylor Jenkins, you're right. Taylor Jenkins, new coach. Uh, expectations, I would imagine, not super high for him to start, but a guy that they gave a well, nice... Well, not in terms of the record, but I, you know, people have been buzzing about Taylor Jenkins ever since he appeared on Create Your Shot podcast. A springboard right into the NBA head coaching ranks. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's funny. He was on Create Your Shot. We did interview him. Uh, he did even say on the show that he had had some head coaching interviews and that he wasn't ruling anything out, but he thought he was still a year away. He had interviewed with Memphis, I believe, one time prior to this. I think that was your information. I don't think he told me that. But, you know, he went back, he interviewed a couple times, and I think they thought he was ready. And I'm excited to see how he plays. He's a guy that's from the Spurs coaching tree, as it feels like everybody is. He's worked with Mike Budenholzer for a long time. So my assumption is that we will see John Morant spray the ball around. They don't appear to have a lot of shooting around him yet. (laughs) So... This could get pretty ugly, but you know, what do you, what do you yeah, think? When he said he's a year away, does he mean the team or the, you know, cause it's like, I agree. Like, and in a way, like this is going to be one of the worst teams record wise in the NBA. There's like no doubt about that. But at the same time, like it, it's not a bad place to be Compare them to a team like Charlotte, who's going to be another really bad team. Like Memphis has to feel like they have two cornerstones. Like they have superstars or potential superstars in John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. And the idea is that this is the new Mike Conley and Marcus Saul. This is the, you know, the new one, two punch that's going to lead them, you know, three years down the road into the playoffs. Um, I don't know. I mean, this year it's going to be bumpy though. Right. I mean, like Jaron Jackson Jr. Was very young for a rookie last year. Um, so I don't think you can expect them to take a major, major leap. And John Morant is about the same age, but he's coming from Murray State. And that's just like an enormous jump in competition. I think it's going to be, a, you know, it's going to be tough to win. What did you see the over-under is again? 26 and a half, which seems, it seems high, I think, with how good the West is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's optimistic. And I, and I think it's based partly on the fact that fans really like those two young players. Um, and they should, but... In the West, I don't think there's any chance they win 30 games even. Here, here's sort of my question. Why is this team like like Solomon Hill? Like They, they want contracts, and they, they, they seem to be doing a pretty good job. And like I said, getting Brandon Clark as an extra pick in this draft, he's, they want him to be Draymond Green. Whether or not he is that guy, we, we, will never, we won't know now. 
John Morant, I think there's the potential for him to put up stats this year, and I'll get into that a little bit in my bold predictions. But like, I think there's potential for him to put up stats, but really have a pretty poor year overall. And the reason is because like the back end of this roster is just weird. Like Grace Allen, I get you take him as a first round pick. He had a 40 point game in the NBA, but like he just doesn't appear to be very good. So it's not really a guy that like I'm excited about as a young guy. The other like young players they have to grow with Morant and you know, Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark, like these are the other like young guys who you could like think will be on the team, right? Dylan Brooks, I'm not super excited about that. Kyle Anderson's not super old, but again, like does it feel like Kyle will be on the team if Ja and Jaron Jackson are really good from in three or four years? He, he might be. And then it's like Josh Jackson, Ivan Rab, and Bruno Caballo. Like they, they don't really have any other kind of pieces to build around. So I'm curious as to what their plan is for the next year or two. Cause like you said, like this is probably going to be the worst team in the West, which is fine. They'll get a high draft pick, but like, are they just trying to move off of like Solomon Hill, Plumlee? We know they're trying to move off Iguodala and Jay Crowder. Like, are they just trying to get rid of those guys or they're like, whatever, we'll play them. Jonas Valanciunas the same way. And they'll just be like, whatever, we'll play them and try to win games while also trying to gain assets. Does that not seem odd to you? Well, there's two like structural causes for concern. Like you kind of, I think like, cause this team's not going to be good, whatever you, you lose 60 games, who cares? Um, but going forward, like does the John Moran, Jaron Jackson, theoretically they fit well together. They complement each other really well. I right. think actually. And, and Brandon Clark for that matter. Like and Brandon yeah. Clark. Well, that's what I'm getting at. Like, so who are your other foundational pieces? Is there anyone else on the roster that's going to be here in three years? Like I said, and, I, I think they feel very strongly about Dylan Brooks. I think they feel strongly about Kyle Anderson. And then I don't think there's an issue with like the Josh Jackson and Bruno Caballo lottery tickets. Like if those guys end up being good, great. If they don't, whatever, it doesn't matter either, you know? Well, so like, that's what I mean. Like, so structurally right now, I do not see a wing player on this team that that's going to be a starter in three years. Like, I don't think Dylan Brooks is, is that honestly, like I, and Grayson Allen, I think those are like rotational players. Jay Crowder's, you know, been overrated for a while. Um, and then Kyle Anderson, I like actually is like a winning player, but he's like, you know, he's best with the ball in his hands. I don't really see him fitting with John Morant for heavy minutes necessarily. Um, and then my big question is, is inside, like you have, they invested, reinvested in Jonas Valanciunas. Yeah. That seemed odd at the time. And, and then you have Jaron Jackson and Jr. and Brandon Clark. So, who's like, so wh- how do they view Jaron Jackson Jr.? Like, because in my head, he, you know, he's a great wingspan. He can sh- block shots. He's a stretch big. I'd like to see him at the five. And then you, you maybe even with Brandon Clark, because he's more of like a defender in the inside. Um, but it's, I, I think they might play him a lot with Valensunas. Valens, I keep mispronouncing his name, but like, I don't know if that fit makes a ton of sense to me. That seems bad, I think. And, and my assumption is that Coach Taylor Jenkins will ultimately end up with Jaron Jackson at the five a lot. So I, I do feel like they're best. For, and again, this may just be because Brandon Clark is a little bit older. So if Brandon Clark is better out of the gates this year than people... He's, old, he's older than Jaren, than Jaron Jackson by a few by, years. By like three years. Yeah, exactly. So saying that like, hey, Brandon Clark shouldn't be bad this year is not entirely true in my opinion. Like he should be ready to be more of a contributor whether or not his ceiling is super high whereas like I think we agree well I don't know you don't love Jaron Jackson but if Jaron Jackson is who people believe him to be he could be a a potential superstar for sure uh but they should play Clark and Jackson together the four and the five and then have it be like Ja 
and that's that's the issue like you said like I don't know I, I mean they're gonna they're gonna try with Grace now they're gonna try with Dylan Brooks Kyle Anderson is a like you said a very good NBA player I totally agree with that but like does he fit at the wing when you need more shooting maybe not and I think that's gonna be the issue with this team is like you need to get better at the wing spot because like you said like you don't need you don't want to be giving Solomon Hill and Jay Crowder tons of minutes like you need to play Bruno Cabal you need to play Josh Jackson and that's where I think the potential for this team to win like 21 games definitely exists because I think that that's what's going to end up happening is like you showcase your veterans early to hopefully move them for draft capital or, or something like that and then you just play all your young guys and be like hey because because in best case scenario like which we always do this is a team that just doesn't have a lot of bad scenarios it, no matter really what happens this season all you want to see is that John Morant and Jackson and Brandon Clark all look like the guys that you drafted them to be in the future. And and if they do that and they win 19 games, like who really cares? Right. No, totally. But I want to clarify, like my alleged Jaron Jackson Jr. You think I'm a hater on him. And, and and same with Wendell Carter Jr. from last episode we talked about with Chicago. I think these are guys who get a little overrated based on the fact that they check boxes. You know, it's like you want a big guy with length. Okay, he checks that box. You want him to be able to shoot. He does check that box. That's great. Totally going to be a good starter in the NBA. There's no doubt about that. In terms of like that next level, like the superstar level, I just don't know about the mindset. Like, I think he fancies himself more of like a perimeter player than he probably should be offensively. And then defensively, like, he's just like, he doesn't have like that, like, you know, fire in his ass, you know, like he last year, like for a guy with all his tools, 26 minutes a game, 4.7 rebounds. For a guy who is like seven foot, he's still growing. Um, I just don't know how that's possible. So like, it's almost like, you know, you, the guy, you reminds me of like a guy like Jonathan Isaac, you know, all the tools in the world. Like, when does that like star, superstar, I'm going to dominate you switch get flipped? I mean, it could happen. I mean, it's happened in the past, but there's also a chance he's just like content to be like the second or third best player on your team. What if he's just like Al Harrington? No, not Al Harrington. That's a bad one. What if he's just like Jonathan Bender? Or like Anthony Randolph. Yeah, and and there's guys like, you know, like, hey, he could be like, let's say he's Al Horford's a diff, slightly different player, but like an Al Horford type who's always like the second best player on a great team. That's fine. Um, so I think the worst case scenario for, for Memphis is if he's sort of like a second or third best player on a team and then John Moran is not the number one guy. Like you, you just think he's not efficient enough, whatever, he's, he's turnover prone. And then you go around thinking maybe these two guys are not good enough to be the core of a playoff team. You need to hit on the lottery pick again to get like a third star. Yeah, that was what I wrote about their worst case scenario. Because even like Ja looking not great. Like, so I, the one guy that I think Morant gets compared to the most is John Wall. And I think there is some credence to that. He is uh, for sure not as good of a finisher at the rim as John was at the same stage. But when he's a little bit older, but. Wall's first year with the Wizards where he played with a group of just absolutely like knuckleheaded veterans. Wall was like 16, 8, and 5, 16, 8, and 4 or something and shot like 41% from the field. And I think even given that season, if you saw it and you were like, okay, this guy was really inefficient. I want to say, I don't think he led the NBA in turnovers, but he averaged right around four a game and, and did have a lot. He got hurt at the end of last that season. But I think if like that's what you see from John Moran and you do see some inefficiency, as long as the passing is what people believe it to be, even with the turnovers, I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about John Moran, even if he does have a bad year shooting the ball. Like if he shoots 36%, maybe it's a problem, you know, but John Wall shot 7% from three his second year in the NBA and still ended up becoming like a third team all NBA point guard. So Moran, I just think like, 
even if he turns it a ton and like they don't win a lot of games, like there's still re- you have to watch him to see like who is this guy. And so I think you're Taylor Jenkins, your best friend, the guy that you you know text with all the time, you share game planning strategies with. Um, I think you and he would agree that the barometer of success for this team has nothing to do with the record. It's all about, are these two guys young stars? Are these two guys truly guys we're going to build around? So if they do really well and the team wins 15 games, that's a great season. But if they look a little shaky and the team wins 35 games, that's a worse result. It's all about the progress of these two young stars. Yeah, and I think Brandon Clark people are excited about. And I think like that's the one where I think your expectations are going to be tempered a little bit because he's probably always going to be the fourth or fifth best, fourth or fifth best player on the team if you're very good. Uh, but I, I agree with that. This again, worst case scenario is mainly like you think Taylor Jenkins is just not the guy for the job or like Jaron Jackson is just not good this year. And I think that's going to be hard to, to tell. Uh, bold predictions. Here's what I got. I got two of them for you. I got John Morant over eight assists per game and a lower than 40% field goal percentage on the season. I think his true shooting percentage will be fine. I think he'll get to the line, but I, I think he's going to really struggle because like I said, he's just not a great finisher at the rim. Like he gets a lot of credit for it. But in the OVC, like he's so much more athletic. His body was so much different. I think he's really going to struggle with NBA size and length early. And then I think towards the end of the year, if we were looking at his splits, like you'd see like, okay, he really started to finish. He started getting like his floater package a little bit. But I I think with the jump shot struggles, I think he's going to struggle out of the gate and and struggle to shoot 40%. And then the other, you like bold predictions. They traded for a guy named DeAnthony Melton. I am going out on a limb. I bet you DeAnthony Melton gets more than one vote for an all-defensive first team at the end of the season. Somebody's going to be like, this guy, DeAnthony Melton's an unbelievable lockdown defender. And they're going to give him a vote for, for a defensive team. Even you though said more than one. So you're saying two votes. Yes, I'm saying he gets two or more votes, like more than 1.5 votes for the NBA defensive first team. That's, I'd take that bet. That is bold, and that's deep. We talk about going into the weeds. We're, we're deep in there now. Let me hack our way out uh, with a kind of a safe prediction. I was just going to say, I like John Morant's potential but like it gets so inflated anytime you're a top three pick and people think he's automatically gonna be an all-star soon so hard at point guard so hard in the west i think it's gonna be a bumpy road i think he's gonna lead the league in turnovers presuming he plays 70 games i think he'll have over four turnovers a game yeah maybe trey young might have something to say about that and and (laughs) and harden and westbrook are gonna throw the ball around a ton and we'll get to that okay uh new orleans pelicans everybody's you know, favorite sleeper team, I guess, 33 and 49 last year over under on Bovada is 39, which I actually thought just, I thought it was going to be higher than that. Just to be totally honest. I'm not saying I agree with it or disagree with it, but I was surprised to not see it in the forties. And I think that's because as we've done this show, that's gotten bet down a little bit, but I mean, I don't know. I I thought they would be in the forties. This is a good team. I think it's the most interesting team. Because it's like almost like we'll go over the roster. Because I was gonna say it's like it's almost like they merged two different rosters together and just threw them all together. It's like two teams like consolidated. Okay, so I actually put I I wrote this in my notes, but they have a lot of talent. So I, I put for their starters. Obviously, like people know, like Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart in Zion in Derek Favors in. Uh, Nikel Walker Alexander they drafted uh, Jackson Hayes they drafted JJ Redick signed there. And then the holdovers are like Etwan Moore. Or they signed Nicolo Melli from the EuroLeague as well as a shooter. The holdovers, Etwan Moore, uh, Jaleel Okafor, 
and Drew Holiday and Frank Jackson. So I put like guess the starters because like I really don't know what they'll do because they're not super deep. And I think Zion needs to play the five. But like my first shot at it, and this could be totally wrong, but my first shot at it was like Lonzo, Drew Holiday, Ingram, Zion, and Derek Favors. But like if I told you that they started Josh Hart or JJ Redick or Etwan Moore, like that that's definitely possible, right? Like the only two starters I'm sure of, right, is Drew, Drew and Zion are going to start. Do we have any idea who the other three are going to be? No, and I, I think they're going to start Lonzo and Brandon Ingram just because they invested so much. And it's like a PR thing. Like if you if you wanted to make a biggest push as possible, maybe you would start JJ Redick. But I think they're going to start conservative. I think they're going to start with the young guys and try to get the chemistry going. And that sort of the great part and the and the concern of this team is like when I was saying that it's like they took two. 30 win teams and merge them together. And they legitimately have like 10 or 12 playable guys. I, I think it might be one of the deepest teams in the league. And that's even if real, real quick, that's even if you like, they're saying they're going to play Jaleel Okafor and like, we're not even including him in like the playable guys category or Jackson Hayes, probably as a rookie. Like the, their 10th to 12th guys are probably the best in the league, I think. And it's just like, how do you, you can only play so many. So how does it all fit together? And, and it's a mix of old and young, like JJ Redick with Zion Williamson. Like, how does that work? Um, in terms of just like, how hard are you going for the playoffs or not? I, it's a very fascinating team. And, um, you know, I think, I think there's a high variance actually here. Like, I think Memphis is probably going to win like between, you know, 20 to 30 games, let's say. New Orleans, if you told me they win 30 games, I wouldn't be shocked. If you told me they win 50 games, it wouldn't be out of the question. Yeah, they, they, I totally agree with you. Another like high variance team. And, and the reason being is like, one, I don't think people realize like JJ Redick, obviously people know, like he, he's in the news a ton. He does his podcast. Like he played for good Sixers teams. He played for good Clippers teams. But, like JJ Redick's good. If I, do you, do you have the Pelicans thing open in front of you? Cause I don't want you to look at it. I want you to tell me. Drew Holiday's points per game, assists per game, and rebounds per game last season. I just want you to I, see. I, yeah, I haven't looked it up. I would guess 22 points, five rebounds, seven assists. Yeah, 20, 20, 21, seven, seven and a half, and five last year on like tons of minutes. I, I on just nailed that, by the way. I did not yeah. look that. I, I mean, Drew Holiday's really good. And like, so even if you decide, like, look, Nikel Walker Alexander is somebody like I'm very high on. But it's doubtful that he plays like a ton of awesome minutes this year because he's an NBA point guard as a rookie who's very young. Like it's gonna he's gonna take some time. But Josh Hart, good NBA player. Lonzo, I think the jury's out, but like he's still a playable NBA guy and he might be very good. Brandon Ingram has a chance to be a very good player. Derek Favors, playable NBA guy. So it's like if Zion Williamson is truly a superstar, and it's gonna be hard for him to be like a I, I wanted to look this up and I, I just didn't, but it's going to be hard for him, I think, to be like a 23 and 12 guy to start and like really be the best player on the court. It may happen, but like that just doesn't happen all that often. And even like Blake Griffin, you know, obviously he missed the year and then came back and I think he averaged like 20 and 11 right away or something. But even like LeBron was like a 25 and 5 guy as like a 19 year old. So it's going to be hard for Zion to be a superstar. But if he is, you're right. This is a really good team. The problem is they probably I'll, just. I'll go, one step, I'll go one step further. Zion, you know, I agree. He's a rookie. Keep in mind, he's a young rookie. As you mentioned, Blake Griffin was two years older at the, when he was a rookie. Yep. Um, but if you switch Zion out and put LeBron James on this team, like this is a team that could win the title. Like that's for how sure. good it is. To yeah, for sure. Um, so it's just, it is like the ceiling it does depend on like how good is Zion going to be out of the gate. And they don't necessarily need him to be LeBron or, or even Blake Griffin right now. 
But if he is a, even a good starter, like that's hard for a rookie to do. So if he's a good starter, then this could be a playoff team. It, it's very ironic that we said that too, because LeBron shipped out three of these guys and it just didn't work with him. But like, I agree with your sentiment that like, if, so like this year, for example, and this is one of my bold predictions is that Zion does average 18 and 10 and plays like 60% of his minutes as a small ball five. Cause I, I really do think that's the best role for him. But if you see that from him, it makes total sense why this team is built the way it is. Because, like, J.J. Reddick doesn't have a lot of years left. Like, Derek Favors is a younger guy, but, like, his peak is probably behind him. Brandon Ingram, like, you might have to pay that dude. Like, Lonzo, you're probably going to have to pay him if he's good. But, like, if Zion is good right away, like, this team is a title contender next year. And that's just the bottom line. Because I don't even think – I wrote their best-case scenario was, like, they win 48 games and, like, they're the seven seed and they have a chance to win a game in the first round. But they, they strike me very similarly to, like, you know, I think I said this with Sacramento before where – or uh, who did I say was like the old Oklahoma City Thunder? I, I honestly can't remember. But it's like where you, you – you remember what I'm saying? Like you lose in the first round to like a very good team and then all of a sudden they're like, holy crap, like this team is a sleeping giant. And I, th- I think I, I was talking about Sacramento when I said that. But that's kind of what I think maybe the best case scenario for this team is because I definitely don't think they're good enough right away. But I also don't think it's a failure. Like their worst case scenario is, in my opinion, it's one thing. And that's that Zion Williamson is not good. That's it. Even if he's awesome and they win 30 games, I think it's a great season for them. I, I don't even think I don't even think it's possible for him not to be good in the sense like it's gonna be very hard for him to meet expectations. But in terms of being a productive, good NBA player, I think it's almost impossible for him not to be that. Unless one thing is I do worry about injuries. Right. And his and, body is not great. Yeah, his body and just how hard he plays and how many hits he takes and his landings it's very possible he misses 30 games this year and then 20 games next year. And then that's sort of the wrap on him, like that sort of unfulfilled potential. And they're obviously going to be very cautious with him as well. Cause like, here's the thing. He signed a big money deal with jump man. Like he's obviously the number one overall pick. He's going to get a ton of other money and endorsements. But like if Zion Williamson has a high ankle sprain in, in game number 12, like you better believe he's out for two to three weeks, if not more, like there's no way the Pelicans are risking like, Zion and his brand even on the business side for what it means for the Pelicans like there's no way he's getting hurt in a season that they're chasing 43 wins and like that that shit's just not happening you know it's it's terrifying to think of this as a possibility but remember when Andrew Luck retired um which seems shocking to say even still we were like what's the comparison NBA comparison it would be like somebody like Joel Embiid retiring or something like that I just, that's like the worst case scenario for Zion is that like he's constantly injury prone, never fulfills his potential. Um, And then, you know, it's one of those great, like, what ifs, like, what if he stayed healthy? And to that end, like, practically speaking, like that fear would keep me up at night and would also, if I'm the team, not only rest him as much as possible, but in games, like he's the kind of player like Boyd Griffin, who should not be playing 36 minutes a night. He should be playing, you know, try to keep him down around 32 and just conserve his energy because like big guys like that do get worn down. And, and I, living in LA, I watched it so often with the Clippers. Blake Griffin would go hard as hell and then would look ex- absolutely exhausted by the end of the game. So like, I think he, you got to pace yourself. Well, I think the problem too is like you're giving a worst case scenario for his career. Cause even, even this season, if he plays 45 games and they're cautious with him, but he looks good in 45 games, like, Nobody thought Greg Oden's first season was like an ominous thing, really. Like they were like, oh, he looked really good when he played. And then all of a sudden, like his career was just done with injuries. So even that this year, like 
it's probably not the worst thing. But I will say, like, it is very obvious that the Pelicans feel very strongly about the fact that Zion is going to be a big-time superstar, as you have to feel when you draft him on overall. And that's why this team is the way it is. I think they're not deep enough in the front court. And I think that's the next move for them. Yeah, I have a worst case scenario because I agree. Like Zion getting hurt, whatever. Maybe he loses rookie of the year if he misses too much time. Yeah, it's not. I think I think the worst case is if the Lakers players they got, specifically Lonzo and, and Brandon Ingram, if they're just not good. <laughs> like they're like, look, these guys are not moving the needle at all. I don't really want to pay Brandon Ingram for you know his inefficiency and and Lonzo. I mean, there's a real chance right now. I think that Lonzo is not a starter starting player and he, and in this is a kind of team where there's going to be potentially better players sitting behind him like in Etwan Moore for example people don't talk about he's a guy who shot 43% last year and plays good defense like Lonzo if they're making a playoff push like you have to justify why are we playing Lonzo over like an Etwan Moore type especially because you can play Drew at multiple guard spots and even go small around him because he's such a good defender as well so like I, I don't totally agree with that and because that's the thing like if Brandon Ingram justifies being paid, the Pelicans are going to just happily pay him. And even if they're not, though, I mean, there's a fear of like an Andrew Wiggins situation where like we've invested so much in this guy. Might as well pay him $20 million a year and hope it works out. But, but he's a restricted. He, they, they have his restricted free agency rights anyway. My, but my point is, is like if Brandon Ingram is good, they're going to happily pay him is all I'm saying. No, totally. And I like Brandon. I, I'm like still like stubbornly thinking he's going to be a very good player. Um, and, you know, in terms of his size. And it, he moves the ball well. I think he fits Zion. I think Lonzo moves the ball well. And Andrew, it, it could, like, you could see this team being an up-tempo, running gun. Um, and, and, good, and good defensively. You could see them being really good defensively. So we'll see. It's Alvin Gentry's job to, like, get him to fit together. Because, like I said, I do, I do think they're thin in the front court. But I think part of the reason is because, like, Zion's going to play a lot of minutes at the five. Here's my bold predictions. Like I said. Zion, 18 and 10 this year. I, I do think he's going to win rookie of the year. Uh, if you can still get it at plus value, I, I probably would get it at that. And just if he doesn't get hurt, he's going to win. And then, I, like I said, I think he plays 60% of his minutes at the five. The other really kind of like bold prediction, and I, I don't know if I can really go out on this limb or not, but the Pelicans are not on national TV a lot. And this year, they're going to be on national TV a ton. Like they are like the fifth most televised team. Is this year people really figure out that like Drew Holiday is actually an awesome NBA player? And can he build like a third team all NBA narrative around himself if the team is good? I, I think David Griffin, it was struck me like the, you know, the new president said that they think Drew Holiday is like an MVP candidate. He's, um, he's good, man. He's not that good, but he's good. No, he's good. If they make the playoffs, he's going to make all NBA some team, third team. I, that, I was think, my, I think, that was my other and, prediction is like Gerard. And media people love him. He has a good story. He's a good kid. You know, he does everything on the court. Um, I really like him. I, I certainly, and you know, it's, it just bums you out in a way. Cause it's like, remember Anthony Davis demanded a trade and they won the lottery and he still demanded a trade, but drew holiday, Zion and Anthony Davis together would have been great. Would have been fine. I mean, I mean, not only the fit makes a lot of sense, the style would be amazing. It would just be so electric. They could be title contenders in a couple of years too. And it's just, I wonder, you know, Anthony Davis landed on his feet, of course, but he could have stayed in New Orleans and been a, a hometown hero if he stayed. Yeah. But Anthony Davis is lame and we know that. World, you know, if he just plays for the U.S. in the World Cup, they probably win with him at the five spot. But anyway, go on. Uh, my bold prediction, you know, we, we maybe overhyped this kid, but Nikhil Alexander-Walker, they're like the forgotten first round pick of theirs out of Virginia tech. I just really like him. Um, you know, he's exactly what I want in a guard. 
especially a guard with a superstar like Zion Williamson. He can shoot pretty well. He's long-armed. He's not a great defender, but he's long enough to like guard a few different spots. Cousins of Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I think he's going to have a better career than Kobe White, who is a you know, top 10 pick for the, for the Bulls. And I'm almost tempted to say he's going to have a better career than Lonzo Ball. Like, I just trust like the, the, the natural transition. If he doesn't get buried, there's a chance he gets buried and then he's out of the league in three years because he never got a chance to show anything. But if I'm building a team, like, I, I, don't, I don't see a big difference between him and Kobe White. And I think he's going to have a better career if given the chance. He's in a great situation here in New Orleans. I think he's going to be a good 10-year player in the NBA. All right. League pass rating. Uh, they're an A, I think, obviously, is Zion. We, we actually didn't do Memphis. I had Memphis as a B, just John Morant, Brandon Clark, B minus, you know, weird stuff there. But Pelicans, A, like I said, Zion, everyone wants to see about the Lakers. I'll, I'll give them an A plus. I mean, like, if you had to watch any team first night, you might even pick New Orleans just to see Zion. Well, the good news is they're on TV the first night as the late game on TNT, so you'll be able to see him. Guys, we got to take a quick break. If you like our show, you're going to love the Jordan Harbinger Show on Podcast One. This week, Jordan joins former NBA Lakers superstar and Oscar Award winner Kobe Bryant for an unforgettable conversation that you don't want to miss. Check out the Jordan Harbinger Show every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. And now, back to the Southwest Division. All right. Dallas Mavericks, another team that I think has a large variance of outcomes, and I'm excited to watch. They were 33 and 49 last year. Their over under on Bovada is 40.5. So Vegas does feel that they're going to be better than the Pelicans, which is quite interesting. Uh, obviously, Luca and, and Porzingis, they traded for Porzingis midseason last year. He is supposedly fully healthy. Uh, they got Tim Hardaway Jr. in that deal as well. They signed DeLon Wright, or DeLone Wright, excuse me. They signed Seth Curry, and then they signed Boban, the rest of the team, Dwight Powell, Jalen Brunson, J.J. Barea, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, Justin Jackson, Maxi Kleber. I, I think my first shot at their starting lineup is uh, Wright, Tim Hardaway Jr., Luca, Porzingis at the four seems to be what they're going to do from everything I've read, and then Dwight Powell at the five. But your thoughts on this team and this roster? Yeah, well, it's an overview. You talk about Bovada. Like, I'm not surprised. Like, both Dallas and New Orleans, similar over under 39, 40 wins. And you thought that was low for New Orleans. I thought it was, you know, pretty optimistic because you remember Sacramento was like the darling story and they won 39 games last year. It's not, it's not easy to win 40 games in the West. That, that's true. But I do also think that both of these teams are more talented than Sacramento was at the start of last year. That's probably true. But Sacramento is the team that just fit like a glove, I think, you know, like that their stars really aligned well. And so these are two new teams trying to figure out some new pieces, particularly Porzingis in Dallas. And I think that's the variance. Like, is Porzingis going to play 65, 70 games, which I think they'd be fine with even. Um, Because on paper, he fits really well with Doncic. I don't know if you're getting that. I don't, I mean, how can you be confident? I, you know, I talked about this before, uh, definitely during free agency. Like, I didn't quite understand what Dallas did. Like, it obviously, it, of course, when you trade Porzingis the way, and give up what they did, you know, and you take back Tim Hardaway, like, you're paying Porzingis. So, like, that is totally fine. Like, I had no problem with that deal. I do think at, at fully healthy, like, I love what Chris Depp's Porzingis can be. I love what we've seen so far as a guy who can protect the rim, who can make threes. Like, I think the guy's a monster. Off the court stuff is a little concerning. His brother is a little bit concerning to me. And I think Luca is the guy in Dallas. So I, I worry, like you said, the on-court fit could be really good. We don't know how they get along off the court, but I don't understand why Dallas won't play him at the five. Like they legitimately gave new contracts to two guys that are 
all 100% five men plus paid Luca and then paid Maxi Kleber, who's going to be a four. But it's like, why do you have so much front court depth when like probably the blueprint for Luca is yes, he can be a three. You can also play him at the four, but he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. So like, why you're going to be big to begin with? Like, why is Porzingis just not going to be their five man? And like, why why are they paying Dwight Powell? Like, why are they paying Boban? Like, why are they paying Maxi Kleber? Like, why wouldn't they go get more wings? And and I know you need depth because it is Porzingis. Don't get me wrong. And all those deals in the vacuum are fine. They were like three year deals or two year deals. But it feels like if you're playing Porzingis at the four, it just it feels kind of weird. You know, it feels like a weird fit to me. Well, it's almost like Memphis in a way, because I think they view Porzingis almost like Jaron Jackson Jr., where it's like you're this stretch big man who's not going to bang down low, so Dwight Powell is your Brandon Clark maybe, and just like garbage man inside. But to be totally clear, I will say this, and I, I understand your analysis, and I agree with it. What we've seen of Chris Depp's Porzingis is a superstar. Like that guy's a super. We haven't seen it from Jaron Jackson yet, in my opinion. We have seen it from Porzingis on a terrible Knicks team maybe they don't think Porzingis is going to play more than 65. That was my thought too, is that they just don't want to beat him up like that. Cause he's had such a trouble. He's had such a hard time staying healthy. Right. And you know, even the Lakers talking about that with Anthony Davis, like maybe the, you know, these thin big men, they don't want to play 82 games down low and they're trying to save him for the playoffs. Cause certainly in the playoffs, you would play him at the five. Um, if they make it that far. It's, it's, you know, it's such a good coaching staff that they, you think the best, but if Porzingis plays 50, 60 games, I don't see any way they win 40 games personally. Yeah. Here's, this is the best case scenario, I think. And I will tell you why I'm not super bullish on this in my worst case scenario, but obviously like Luca rookie of the year last year, he was great. He struggled down the stretch playing a, you know, a super high workload, but obviously their roster wasn't really great around him and they traded Harrison Barnes away. And, you know, so, but if Luca takes a jump to MVP and you get 70 games of like legitimate Kristaps Porzingis, this team could really throw a wrench in the Western conference final in the Western conference playoff picture. Excuse me. I don't think they're good enough to win the title. Obviously I do think they're good enough. If those guys are legitimately awesome the entire year, the depth is there, in my opinion. They do have shooting. Like, they do have guys that can guard. They have some scores as opposed to those two. So if those two are legitimately great all year, this team could win 50 games. I, I, I totally see it. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Luka is closer to his peak than people think. He's played a ton of minutes. Yes, he can get into shape. Yes, he can make more shots. Yes, he can get more comfortable in the NBA. But I think the guy that we've seen is a guy that we've seen for a lot of years, and I I don't I think he's better than Jason Tatum personally because I think the playmaking is better but I don't think there is as big of a jump for Luka Doncic to make as people think and that's why How dare you? Well, he could be a 23 5 and 5 guy for his whole career he could be a 23 8 and 5 guy in terms of like assist to rebounds as far as I'm concerned but like unless he gets a lot more efficient or he takes a way bigger workload a la James Harden like the guy we saw last year, he maybe just is more consistent as the year goes and he's better, but I don't know I don't know if I really, really, truly see like league MVP best player in the league upside from Luka Doncic. I think he probably is not that guy. That's what I think personally. Well, you were always a little you always thought that. Um look, it, I'm mixed because you look on paper, you're like the he's guy good, man. Average 21, eight and six is a rookie, 19 year old rookie. Obviously, he could get up to 25, you know, eight and eight. It's possible. Definitely. He, he's really good. I'm not, me not saying, me not saying, I'm not saying that he's not really good. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's always the, oh, this guy's crushing Luca. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm really not. 
No, but I, I understand your point because look, he shot less than 33% from three last year. Didn't shoot that well in the Euro League either. Um, so I don't know if he's a great shooter. I think he's an average shooter. Uh, 71% from the line. I think that'll get better. So the efficiency will get better. But he he was in such a position to max out his stats last year. Like, and they wanted him to be rookie of the year. They wanted him to be the face of the franchise. There was no real other true talent on the roster. There's no Christoph Porzingis to feed. So he was sort of like in the best case scenario in terms of like rack up as many raw stats as you can. That should naturally go down a little bit, that opportunity on a better team. So, you know, like if you put him on, I don't know who's a good team, Philadelphia or something like that, he wouldn't have done what he did last year um, in the raw stats. So I agree. I think, but is that, isn't that enough? I, you know, for, for this team to like get where they want to go, you know, do they need him to be an MVP? I don't necessarily think so. Let me ask you a question. If I told you today, you could bet me Luka Doncic over under 0.5 or just will he, will he make the all NBA first team one time in his career? Yes, I think so. You think he will. Okay. So then, so we're a little bit mixed on that. Well, you're seeing even third team or first team? No, no, no. All NBA first team. Not an oh, all first NBA team. team. I, I thought you meant second or third. No, team. no, no, no. All NBA first team. Will Luca make the all NBA first team one time in his career? <laughs> you know, I probably would still bet yes, just because I'm thinking like, you know, LeBron's going to age out. Durant's going to age out. Kawhi's going to get injured in two months. Um I so well, I, I think he, like the NBA first team playing. Well, and he's got like a window of like ten years to do it, so it's possible, uh, if not longer. And also, he is like a media darling. So if Dallas ever wins fifty games, like he'll get all the credit for it. Um, so I think he he will. I I don't see you know, I think he has MVP potential. Even like it's possible, but you can't rule it out. He's one of those players he could average you know thirty eight and eight, and they win fifty five games, and he's MVP. Clearly, um, I think most likely. You know, James, if, Harden, you know, James Harden did that last year and his team won 53 games and he didn't win MVP, by the way. Well, if Luca had done that, he would have won MVP. <laughs> You're right. So what's the worst case scenario then? Like I, I this or is for this team or for, for him. No, no. For this team. I think it, I think it's I think it's again injuries like and look here. Here's some sobering stats about Christoph Porzingis. Um, he's been in the league four years. Average games played per year is 46. And if you take out last year, for whatever reason, you don't think that's fair to include, it's 62. So I don't know where you see that he's playing 70, 75 games a year. And, and you know, he's never had to play in the playoffs either. So how does he hold up? I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I also, though, though, I will say with his injuries, obviously the one ACL, then he had like a back injury. So it's 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 different injuries and in that that tends to be guys like not labeled as like, oh, these are freak things. Remember like Kevin Love with like the broken kneecap or whatever, and then he had like a back injury, but Kevin Love ended up playing a lot of games, you know, and, and I think I think Anthony Davis, that's why I always worry about him because he's just had a bunch of different st- injuries. It's just like always something. And that may be who Porzingis ends up kind of similarly profiling out to be with just like, you know, he breaks a finger or like, you know, he twists an ankle or he like gets a concussion. Like he just seems like that type of guy. I, I do think their worst scenario, worst case scenario is that like Luca just doesn't take a big jump and Porzingis has soft eyes. Shout out to Dan Doc. <laughs> like my, my thing is like, if, if Luca isn't a superstar, like if he isn't a true number one option, are they going to be willing to be like, Hey, Porzingis is that guy. And I don't know that he is either. Like, do they have two like one B type guys? And can you win a title with two one B type guys? I don't, 
I see. That's why I don't think it matters as much as you because it's not a set product, and they, they not coincidentally cleared a lot True. of cap room in the future. True. So True. if if Luca is good, let's say he's an all star, borderline all star. Let's say Christopher Zingas is is a borderline all star, all star. I you know it's a conspiracy theory that I would float again. Like, is this not an ideal situation for a star like Giannis to come on and be like the the final piece of the puzzle? No, you're right. You love this conspiracy. I don't think it's going to happen because again, but I mean, just like riddle me this, riddle me this, Batman. You're Giannis. It's two years down the future. Chris Middleton is whatever thirty. Eric Bledsoe's thirty-two. You've kind of maxed out in in Milwaukee. Meanwhile, you look at Dallas, Doncic and. Porzingis are like 22, 23, 24. Uh, and they fit you skill-wise. They could take some pressure off you. I mean, isn't that a very appealing situation? It is. If you here, here it, it is. Yes. Yes, it is. Here's the problem. Mark Cuban hitches his wagon to one guy. He has done it, he did it with Dirk for years. And then he got Dirk the help that he needed. Does Mark Cuban want to bring in Giannis over Luca? Like Luca is like his new guy. Like that's the thing. Like I don't. I just don't see the fit. Like, well, I would say it's like this. It's like Luca's our guy in the same way that Dwayne Wade was Miami's guy. But hey, we're still bringing a better player if we can. Okay, great. You're right about that. But the issue or is Kevin that- Durant and Steph Curry. Same situation where the better player comes in is not quite the face of the franchise. Boom. Two examples in recent years. Yeah, here, here, here are two reasons why those examples are total like crap. One, LeBron, Wade, and Bosch conspired to do the big three thing. The three of them did that. We don't know that Giannis and Luca and Porzingis are, are close at all. So that had Pat Riley got it done, like, but LeBron and Wade did that themselves, right? That was a Wade and LeBron production a spring hill production if you will then durant actually fits with everybody like you put durant on any team in the league and he can be kevin durant we don't know if Giannis can do that especially if lucas be a 35 percent like possession type guy which he is going to be that's who he is but couldn't you you know Giannis just won 60 games with brooke lopez as a center brooke lopez just made the world cup team are you telling me i like brooke lopez i like her and he shoots threes well you know who else is a big man who shoots threes well um does he not fit with Porzingis? No, Giannis probably fits. Giannis probably fits with everyone. I'm telling you that I don't think it's as a done deal. I, I don't think it's a situation. No, I, I don't think it's a done deal, of course. Um, but the, I'm just getting to the point being, this team has enough upside and wiggle room that even if Luka Doncic is just an all-star, like there's still moves to make. And it, maybe it's not Giannis. Maybe it's correct. You're right. You know, whomever, you know, even like whatever, say Brandon Ingram's an all-star and they add Brandon Ingram. It, it's another player. They could find a third player. It, it just seems it seems more unlikely to me that they would add a super high usage guy next to Luca because he's going to be the high usage guy in Dallas for 15 years. And he just has to have the ball. Like, he's so much better with the ball in his hands. Like That's he, true. But like, say, like Bradley Beal, whoever. You yeah, know? Bradley Beal. That's Blake good. Thompson, whatever. Anyone else. Anyone else who's, you know. But yeah, those. They're, they're, you're right. They're, all of these deals are on like two to three year shelf lives where like they can make another move. Like 100%. You're right about that. How about this? Luca for Giannis. Who says no? Like, you know, I mean, if, especially if Milwaukee thinks Giannis is leaving. And, and That's a great question. But here's, here's the relevant question for this year. Because I thought this was the most interesting like toss up, and especially in this division. Dallas versus New Orleans. This year. Similar over win totals. They had the same record last year. I, I was really torn on this. Like, who would you take? I would. I have a slight preference, but I'm not sold. So you can convince me. 
Yeah, I had kind of put off like ranking high. I think the division was going to finish. I was going to put Houston first and Memphis last. And then I wasn't really sure because I honestly could see any of these teams being second, third, or fourth, including San Antonio, who we'll talk about. But I think that Mem- I think that New Orleans is going to be slightly worse than Dallas because I think Dallas is going to try to win more games. Then like I think New Orleans is okay being like, hey, if this year we don't make the playoffs, that's fine. I think Dallas is trying to make the playoffs this year, and I think Rick Carlisle is going to coach that way. Whereas I think Alvin Gentry and David Griffin might play a little bit of a longer game. Like like with Dallas, I don't think they would make a deal for like future picks if somebody was like, hey, we really want I don't I don't even know. Like so, let's say somebody said like, hey, we really want Justin Jackson. He's playing well for us. I don't know that Dallas would do it. Whereas if like somebody came to New Orleans and was like, hey, we really want Derek Favors, like here's a late first, like they would do that in a second. They would sacrifice some of their short-term wins for longer-term wins. But like, I think both these teams are pretty good. I think they're better than people think too. And I wouldn't be shocked to see like J.J. Redick end the season on like the Lakers or something. Like right. That. It, 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 that's exactly right. Like, and that's the point. Like I don't like, like Mark Cuban's not moving Seth Curry. Like they, they drafted these guys to win games starting this year with Porzingis rounding back into form yeah and that's why i'm so torn on it because and also i trust i think the fit right now is a little cleaner i don't know if it's a better fit but it's just like i think they know what they want to do um they have a more limited rotation you know we talked about new orleans having like 12 guys to figure out how to fit and you're probably right in the sense that like new orleans probably their ceiling is higher if they can get everything to fit together and if like lonzo and brandon ingram are good and josh hart is good and drew holiday is good like they have probably a higher ceiling. Whereas like with Dallas, like that you're right. Like they've slotted guys into their spots. They have less to figure out than New Orleans. And there's more like, (laughs) there's more method to the madness. I feel like they're like, they're going to inch forward. It's just a matter of like, how fast is it going to get better? Whereas New Orleans, maybe they win 30 games and fire their coach. Like they, we don't know. Like Dallas at least has like sort of the track in front of them. So bold predictions, right? I'm wondering how quickly into the season we get a meeting with, uh, Porzingis's brother and Mark Cuban. I think it's thirty games. Um, oh my gosh! I, I think I think there's a, a, a rather high chance of like people are talking about like Houston having the biggest like personality problems. I think there is a very good chance that we look back on this Dallas thing and we're like, man, like can anybody play with Porzingis? Like I think his camp and like the way that they view him and himself now that he's gotten paid, it's kind of like a prove it type situation, you know. And we know that New York had grown tired of him. We know there was some off court stuff that you know we don't know the truth behind but we know that his brother's difficult and we know that his brother has made things harder for him in the past and i i think that i think it's going to be interesting to see how they do because like luca is clearly the future here like he is the second he is option two on the maps that is very clear to me i i go the other way i'm going to be optimistic on this as much as i talked about porzingis's injury issue i think this team has some experience with dirk and and managing and and they're smart they're a forward-thinking franchise I think they're going to treat him like we would want to treat like Embiid and like, or they treated Kawhi Leonard last year in Toronto. Like let's play him 65 games a year. Um, Just manage him. Even if regardless of the playoff chase, because it is a long-term plan here to some degree. Um, I think they want to make the playoffs this year, but they, it would be a failure if they don't make it in the following year. I think it's at least a two-year plan. So I think they're going to play him limited minutes. I think he'll be effective in that role. Um, and I agree. I, I think Luca is going to have sort of like a, a little bit of a plateau, like Jason Tatum last year. Like there's always this overinflated expectations for these, these sophomores. Um, 
but I think they, you know, is that my bold prediction? The Giannis thing. I, I do think they're going to sign Giannis eventually. You keep going with these based bold on predictions. very little. It's very, you know, not much there to be honest. You keep going on these bold predictions that have nothing to do with this season. Uh, here's my last one. Uh, I do buy into Justin Jackson. I think that that was a smart deal for them. He's a longer wing shooter. I think he's going to shoot. He shot 37% with Dallas last year in a better offensive system than he was in in Sacramento, just for him personally. I think his only role is going to be to make threes. I think he's going to shoot 40% from three. And I think we're going to see a situation where Justin Jackson ends up playing a lot more minutes than people think at the, at one of the wing spots. Cause again, like with Luca having the ball so much, I think it's very necessary for guys like Seth Curry and Justin Jackson, and even like, you know, your JJ Barea's of the world to like make open shots. And so I think it was a smart deal to get a guy like Justin Jackson. My bold, do you want me to do only do bold predictions? Cause I have another bold prediction for you. Go for it. 2038. Texas withdraws from the union becomes their own country. <laughs> um, and I think Luca will be the president of the Texan basketball league. What do you think of that? <laughs> All right. League pass rating. You're an idiot. League pass rating. Uh, I do think this, as I tend to do trend a little bit more negative, I want people to know, like I'm actually pretty bullish on Dallas. Like I'm excited to watch them. Like for me, I, it's a B plus B plus a minus. Like I want to see what Luca does in year two. I lo- I really like Porzingis. He's a guy that I'm super, super high on. So I'm, I just am saying like, there's some chance that like this kind of thing doesn't work. And like, if it doesn't work, like is Rick Carlisle the scapegoat? And that's what I'm kind of watching. I don't think they're going to fire him. I think his relationship with Cuban is really good, but I I just, I want people to see that like, there's another side of this Luca Porzingis pairing that may not work, but I am very bullish on them. I think they'll be very fun to watch. And I think you're right. They're interesting not, not to be like, you know, San Antonio has such a stable organization because they had a lot of on the backing of these international stars who are like team first buy-in guys. And as far as Tim, Europeans and they had Tim go, Duncan and they had Tim right. Duncan. As far as Europeans go, Luca and Porzingis are not necessarily that template. Like they are more volatile. They they have their own agendas. I think it's going to be tough. I don't think like Carlisle is totally safe as you said. Um, but for New Orleans and Dallas, they're so similar in terms of like they're knocking on the door of the playoffs. But you know if we did East and West previews instead of the divisions, like the West is like, there's not that many spots open at the party. You know, there's not that many tickets to be handed out, especially with the Lakers getting better. It's like our next team might be the eighth seed and, and they're going to win 45 plus game. Yeah. So San Antonio 48 and 34 last year over under on uh, Bovada is 46 and a half. They just win 45 plus games every single year. Like they, it just, it just really happens. Like this roster is actually kind of interesting. Although the fit is a little bit weird. They certainly played differently than almost every team in the NBA in the sense that like they were seventh in offense last year and they shot the most mid range jumpers in the NBA. So, but DeJounte Murray back from injury, Derek white, presumably into the starting lineup, still DeMar DeRozan, still Rudy Gay, still LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, Patty Mills off the bench, Bryn Forbes, Alani Walker. They're excited about this year. Marco Bellinelli's back. They signed Damari Carroll. They signed Trey Lyles. And then they have uh, Keldon Johnson and Lucas Samanich as guys that will probably play in the G League and still have Jakob Poitel. So not a whole lot of change on this group that won 48 games last year. Yeah, and that's amazing. It's like, a, it's like not quite Belichick, but it's close in the sense that Popovich has been the coach for over 20 years. The 47 games they won two years ago, 48 last year was the worst two records since his first year. Yeah, 50, 50 wins every single season except for his first season. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And But I do think maybe this is the new normal for them. They won 47, then 48. I I can't imagine. Like, they're not a 60-win team anymore. They're not even necessarily a 50-win team anymore, unless you think 
getting Dante Murray back is going to be a huge game changer. Yeah, I think because, and we don't know how he looks. Like he tore his ACL. We, we missed the entire season. He's not a good shooter. It was like just a terrible shooter. The one thing that this team really does seem to lack, and again, Lonnie Walker may turn out to be like a big-time wing scorer. Maybe Keldon Johnson is in the future. But like DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge are going to give you exactly what they've given you the last two years. Now they've made DeMar play more of the three. They've played LaMarcus Aldridge at the five. Like that's where they play now. You're going to get contributions from them. Derek White was great to end the season. He was pretty good with Team USA. But like if you play Murray, DeMar, Rudy Gay, and Aldridge together, like you're playing – pretty slow again and you're not a great defensive lineup although I do think their defensive backcourt's going to be really good so I don't really know like you said like this isn't a 60 win team and I agree with that but like maybe they could win 55 to 58 games and just like because they're going to be really solid on offense and they should be a lot better on defense I think they were 17th last year defensively that's what I was going to say you you read my mind because it's so interesting because you think like look they were, nine, they were 19th. They were 19th in defense. Sorry, right. go ahead. Well, like that, my point was like, you think like, how did they win 48 games last year? Because DeRozan and Aldridge are pretty good, not amazing. You think, oh, it must have been their defense must have been good. And and it's not true. I mean, 19th in defense, 7th in offense. So it's odd. I mean, you think that like you'd flip that in my head, I would have guessed. And the, the year before it was flipped, 17th on offense, 3rd in defense. So is Dante Murray that good of a defender that he could take them back into the top 10? Maybe. He is a very good. I was stunned to see I knew they were good on offense because obviously there was a bunch of articles and stuff written about it. I watched them a good bit last year like I was totally stunned to see where they ranked defensively last year and part of that's again because you know it, it is it's it's DeMar it's LaMarcus Aldridge like those Rudy Gay like they're not great defenders they play a lot of minutes Patty Mills plays a lot of minutes for them Bryn Forbes plays a lot of minutes like those guys are not good defenders but Derek White and DeJounte Murray are both excellent defenders I think Damari Carroll, they expect to be a good defender. Jakob Poitel has been a good defender in his career. He was not last year. Like, this is a team that is going to be more offensive-oriented. And, again, the only thing I wrote in their best-case scenario is that I just don't think this team can win the title. Like, they're just – to me, they're just not quite good enough. They may be very good. They win a ton of games. Not quite. Wow. You're you're a lot higher on them than I am because I I would say I don't think this team could win – a series. I mean, I know they almost did last year. Well, so maybe- I, I did. I did put that as I just, I'm just saying in the best case scenario, like I don't, I don't envision, like if they won in the first round, like it wouldn't stun me. You know what I mean? Like I, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like this team pop is too good. Like, but they're not, they're not making any moves. Like this is going to be their roster. I do have one kind of really bold take on their roster, but I just, I don't, I just don't see it. Like I don't see 55 wins. Like DeMar is really good. LaMarcus Aldridge is really good. I'm very high on Derek White. I really like Lonnie Walker. I really like Patty Mills, but like is that team beating like LeBron and then like, is he beating, beating the Clippers and then are they turning around and beating Giannis? Like it just doesn't seem likely to me because it's, I think they're going to struggle to get stops against wing players. They just don't have a, a, a wing defender that like can really stop guys. And that's what you need in the playoffs. I think part of the issue for them last year was like they had to play a little smaller, I think. Right. And they did try. I mean, you get Damari Carroll, Trey Lyles, you know, Keldon Johnson's, you know, kind of a thicker wing, I guess. So I, I think they'll they'll have more size. They'll have some versatility. I just worry about the upside. Like, how is this team going to forget winning the title? How are they going to win around? They could get lucky, punch his chance, good coaching. I don't see any scenario where they win two rounds. Um, I don't even know how it's possible. Because, I mean, we've seen DeMar Rose and we've seen DeMar Cartologers. These guys are, are maxed out. And well, keep in, mind, keep in mind, too, like they had to have a ton of injuries. But, like, I would say this. Like, Lonnie Walker, to me, is the most important player on their roster. 
And I, I understand that like his production may not be good, but like they need to see like, Hey, we drafted this guy as a big time wing who, who's going to score. Like we, we need to kind of move this forward. Right. Because obviously like Derek White's going to be there. DeJounte Murray is going to be there. Lonnie's going to be there. They like Keldon Johnson, but he probably won't play a lot this year. They like Lucas Semanic. He probably won't play a lot this year either. Like, so they need who's the next guy for the Spurs? Because like there's a shelf life on Demar, Rudy Gay, Lamarcus, Trey Lyles, Damari Carroll. Like those guys just aren't going to be there forever. Patty Mills. Like so they Lonnie Walker. It's like all right, if we see the Lonnie Walker's good, then maybe you feel really good about the future. But if Lonnie Walker like is not doesn't really take a step this year and they struggle again offensively and and you need to rely a ton on DDR and Lamarcus. Like I think that's a tough thing. Like that's why I think the worst case scenario for them is like the offense regresses beyond a lack of like three point shooting. Like Lonnie's still a year away. They struggle to create space playing DeJounte and Derek White together, which means you have to play Patty Mills and Bryn Forbes a lot more. And then the old guys just kind of look a lot older. And I think like Pop just decides he's done and he wants to retire. So I think like that's – and they miss the playoffs. Like and, – and again, they can miss the playoffs in 44 games. I agree. Like upside-wise, like, you know, maybe we're dwelling on this defensive stats, but it's shocking. Like this is their defensive rating from 2012-13, okay? Starting then. Third best. Next year, third best. Next year, second best. Next year, first. Year after that, first. Third. Last year, 19th. So it's like, it's just like stunning. And like, so the path forward to like best case scenario is to regain a top five defense, let's say, and, and win 50 games. Um, but I agree with you. I think I, my big question for you is going to be worst case scenario. Is there a, a good chance, let's say 30 plus percent chance that this team misses the playoffs? Yeah, 30% for sure, I think. And they could miss the playoffs and win 45 games still. You know, like they could hit their over-under and conceivably miss the playoffs. So if they win 47 games, I guess they got in. But they can definitely miss the playoffs. They, they could finish fourth in this division. Like that's a that, – that could I, – I could see it happening. I don't think it'll happen. I think they'll be better than Sacramento. I think they'll be better than New Orleans. I don't know if they'll be better than Dallas. I don't know about that. I, but I think they'll be better than Sacramento and uh, and New Orleans for this season. But here's here's what I have. Here's my – Here's my two bold predictions. Number one, Greg Popovich wins a gold medal with Team USA and retires as the Spurs head coach. That's not this year. You got to interrupt me for that. That's not this year. No, it is. Well, okay, yeah. So this would be it because obviously the Olympics are next summer. So bold prediction, this is Greg Popovich's last season as the San Antonio Spurs head coach. Here is the second part of this bold prediction. This is part two of bold prediction one. Brett Brown, head coach of the San Antonio Spurs next wow. year. Wow. I can't top that. I can't top that. I mean, I th- I'll support it. Pop ain't going anywhere. Like, he has an office there. Like, he's still president of basketball operations or whatever. Him and RC have a good thing. He's going to hire his next coach. And I want to say it's going to be Will Hardy, but I don't think they'll turn it over to somebody that young. I think the Sixers are going to not win the title this year. They're probably not going to win the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think Brett Brown is going to get some overtures, if you will, from his old buddy, Greg Popovich, and his old buddy, R.C. Buford. And I think he's going to be like, you know what? I love the Spurs. I love these guys. Philly is super annoying. I'm going to go coach the Spurs next year. That's what I think. Those are my two-parted one bold predictions. That's, that's as good of a prediction because it's double-sided. I mean, it's amazing. I, I, I can't top it. I think um, I, I see it. You talked me into the Popovich retiring thing. I think that makes sense. I don't see Brett Brown coming back because I don't think Brett Brown, if he loses in Philly, is going to be a real hot commodity. Ooh, see, that's where you're wrong. I think that his, I think his perceived, like, you know, his personality and, and how he coaches and how his players like him and culturally how he fits. I, I think Brett Brown's a guy that a lot of people like. I really do. Feel I that. like, I have the young guns. I, I think Will Hardy, you mentioned the young white guy 
evil white guy. I think he's going to get the job over Becky Hammond, who the media will be pushing for. Um, I, cause I think, you know, in the response, like, you know, people may be grumbling. I've heard talk like, you know, Popovich is 70, you know, he's an old army kind of guy. Does that fit in the modern NBA? So they might you know, overreact to that and go even young, super young with Will Hardy. I think that makes more sense, but I like your, your prediction is, is top notch as far as bold. Here's what I here's what I will say. The one thing I, is I do think the Spurs window is is a little bit like I, I like their young guys. Like I like Murray, I like Derek White, I, I like Lonnie Walker, I like Keldon Johnson, I like Lucas Manic. And then my other bold prediction is they signed this guy Dalton Holmes to an Exhibit Ten deal. I don't know if you know who this is. He played for the Bucks in summer league. He was Division Two National Player of the Year from Point Loma University, which I believe is in California. Six eight two fifteen, and he shoots the absolute cover off the ball and i think he's a guy that's gonna end up playing some minutes for the spurs this year wait what's his i don't even have him written down what's his name dalton holmes d-a-d-a-u-l-t-o-n-h-o-m-m-e-s i i do think like he's the type of guy the spurs like the bucks had him in summer league he's just a great shooter he's probably more of a two than a three and he's probably not gonna be able to guard somebody but i do think he's a guy that like the spurs need shooting they signed him to play for their g league team but i think they're going to be very protective of him i know for a fact they gave him upfront money on his exhibit 10 deal and I think they view him as a as the third guy in like this rookie class with Keldon and Lucas Samanich who they both wow Dalton wait say his name again I googled him he didn't even show up say his name one more time Dalton Homs I think it's Homs D-A-U-L-T-O-N is his oh, first D-A-U. name yeah, yeah, yeah. H-O-M-M-E-S okay yeah because I really <laughs> it's bad you know you're going off the grid when you literally can't even find the guy on but Google. that but the, but the point is I think that they're going to, they want to hire somebody that they think can win with this team. And I do think like, if you do hire Will Hardy, who's been there for a long time, he's sort of been pops right-hand man for a long time as well. I think you're still hiring a guy who's like 33 years old to be an NBA head coach. And it might work. It definitely could work given the culture they have there. But I also think that like, you need a guy who is going to be more likely to kind of go at pop and RC Buford. Cause the one thing with the Spurs is they've always worked really well together. And I think that Will is probably not quite seasoned enough to be that guy yet. Uh-uh. Well, you know, it's a fun game at home. It's a play at home game for our listeners. Uh, Google Dalton Holmes and then try to guess white or black because his name's Dalton. So I was thinking white, but then you said D-A-U-L-T. I'm like, mm, I don't know. Um, take a guess and then Google and then let us know if you got it right or not. All right. League pass rating. I B minus. They're a group of guys that are good basketball players. They're going to be well coached. They're going to lose some games by a lot. They're going to win some games. They shouldn't win. They're going to be pretty boring, but they're going to be different than a lot of NBA teams, but B minus for me. I would say C. I mean, like the, the Spurs are the kind of team where you don't have to tune in. You know, they're going to win 45 games. They're almost like the playoff bar. Like they're going to win 45 games. Teams like young teams like Sacramento, Dallas, New Orleans. Like, can you take the leap past this ball? If you win more games, this is going to sound so stupid in theory, but I think you're exactly right. Like, if you win more games than the San Antonio Spurs, you're probably making the playoffs. How does that sound? Right. No, I mean, it's it's dumb but smart. It's, that is the, the task in the West. All right. My favorite team in all of professional sports, uh, the, the team that makes people turn off the podcast when we start talking about them, my favorite player. Basically, you know, I have all the James Harden stock in the world. Houston Rockets, 53-29 and 29 last year. Their over-under on Bovada is 54. We all know what happened in their offseason. They traded away Chris Paul. They traded for Russell Westbrook. Same kind of team, but it's Westbrook, James Harden, Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, Clint Capella. Contributors, 
Austin Rivers, our favorite guy. Ben McLemore is in. Gerald Green is back. Daniel House with a new contract. Gary Clark is still there. They just signed Nene. Tyson Chandler's in. They brought in Anthony Bennett. Haven't really done anything with Amon Shumpert yet. I'm assuming he'll be back. I don't know what they, they have like $2.5 million left to spend. I'm guessing that's going to be him. But I mean, what do you want to say about the Houston Rockets? We've talked about them at nauseum on this show. It's very clear their best case scenario is NBA title. And honestly, they're probably the one team to me that's NBA title or bust. If they don't win the title this year, I think this is, this is going to look drastically different. Even though Tillman Furtada has said they expect to compete for the next four years, I just don't buy it. Mike D'Antoni is on the last year of a guaranteed deal. If they don't win the title this year, I don't think Mike D'Antoni is going to be back. And I think that the Rockets are likely going to be very different in the future. Your thoughts? Oof, I agree with you. And I was thinking, of, I agree, best case scenario, of course, they win the title and validate James Harden and Tyler Laurie's career. And um, Russell Westbrook and, and Mike D'Antoni. There's a lot on the line here. Yeah, yeah totally. But you most of all, because you've been hyping them up for so long. I, the worst case scenario is the most interesting. Like, what does that look like? <laughs> this is a team that won 60 games, you know, the last few years and before last year. Um, they averaged 60 wins over the previous two years. Let me clarify. Um, a first round loss or is a second round loss? Do you think that's enough to blow yeah. it up? You know, it's, it's really funny. You said that Zan, cause I wrote like worst case scenario. Like I don't, I don't even want to think about it. Cause like I, I, I truly believe they could win 55 games and lose in the first or second round of the NBA playoffs. And then like Mike D'Antoni gets fired. Russ and Harden are like publicly sniping at each other. Daryl Morey just quits, like goes to another team. Like you said, like goes and runs the Knicks or does something else. And like, I, I really don't know. Like, because I do think this is going to be a very good team. They are tremendously thin. Like, their playoff rotation is really thin. And they're, they're thin for a regular season team, to be honest with you. Like, this is a team that probably should be figuring out a way to get Harden and Westbrook's minutes in, like, the 30 to 32 range throughout the year. And they're not gonna, probably going to be able to do it because their bench stinks. But I, I'm not sure what the worst-case scenario is. Like, certainly if they miss the playoffs, I don't see that being an option. No, that, that's not realistic. But, like, say, do you think losing in the first round is enough to get or do you think losing the second round is enough? Yeah, that's – I think Mike D'Antoni's fired if they don't – I mean, I don't think – they're just not going to renew his contract. But I think that happens if they lose in the first round. And I think if they lose in the first round, like, I think Tillman Furtado is going to look very heavily at Daryl Morey and be like, hey, I'm a businessman, and you told me all these things were good basketball moves, and they did not work. And I think that's – he's a loose cannon a little bit. I, I, I don't know. I think their worst-case scenario is probably losing in the first round. That could happen. And and it's not like you can easily shed Russell Westbrook after this because he has the big contract. And, and again, that's why they gave they gave Eric Gordon the contract extension. So he now is there for the next four years as well. They gave Clinton Capella an extension a year ago. Like he's got three more years. They are working on a deal with PJ Tucker. Like this particular core, with the exception of Mike D'Antoni, is there for the next four years. Like and you're no matter who the general manager is, like you're figuring out a way to win with these players. The problem with this team is what is their playoff rotation? Like, what, what are they doing? I, we got to think that they're not done yet. The, I sent you the thing on the Nene deal from early bird rights where, like, if, he tra- if he's traded to, like, a worse team, his contract counts for less money in the future. If he's traded for a good team, it counts for more money. So, like, they can get creative moving off of him later because it doesn't feel like he's going to play. But, like, they need another wing again. They still need another wing. And it's not Shumpert. So, like, what's going to happen? What is Daryl Morey going to do, Zan? Well, I don't even. I think the regular season kind of scares me because they are so thin, and, and theoretically, I think they can get by in the playoffs playing their guys forty minutes a night if they need to, um, if they're healthy. Uh, can I give James Harden some compliments so you don't have to do it? 
Well, I was I was just going to try not to talk about him the whole time because we've talked about Harden. I mean, this one is well, going to be. This is this is interesting to me. This is interesting to me in this sense. The the Rockets have become more James Harden's team than D'Antoni's team, you know, and I think that's reflected in their sort of power structure. But I, I don't think I've ever seen this before. And shout out to Basketball Reference for having all this stuff handy. But their pace when first year of D'Antoni was third in the NBA. Yeah, they were twenty seventh last, last year. Last year it went down to twenty sixth. And you think, wow, they're really slowing things down. That's such a different, drastically different approach. But because James Harden is so good offensively, they've had a top three defense, regardless, top two defense, you know, at the fast pace, at the o- slow offense. pace. Offense, you mean? Offense. Offensive, yeah. Sorry, what did I say? Defense. But, um, defense. No, no. Off The defense has gone up and down. Offense has been one, two, and two. So to be the best offense in the league at a fast pace and the best offense in the league at a slow pace, and like that's why like I think this team is so good and they're it's like, it doesn't matter. Like it almost doesn't matter who his teammates are. Like Harden can just score. And and they're going to play faster this year. They're going to play faster with Russ in the game. They're going to play faster with Harden in the game without Russ. Like here's what they need more than anything. Like Daniel house, Ben Mecklemore, Gerald green, one of you three guys like needs to be a playable NBA small forward for the majority of the season. Gary Clark. I think we know who he is. Isaiah Hardenstein's a guy that's been in the rotation for a long time, but we talk about these guys, like, how is Russ going to look with shooters around him? Harden might get better on offense and put up worse numbers because he might get more open threes. P.J. Tucker and Eric Gordon, like, we can't have – I'm saying we like I'm a Rockets fan. The Rockets cannot have Eric Gordon shoot under 30% from three the first 50 games of the season. Otherwise, this is going to go way south. Yeah, but that's unlikely. I mean, that was like a, a strange slump for a guy who's always been a good shooter. Right, So, but, but my point is, like – they're going to play a lot faster. They're going to whip the ball around. Like it wouldn't stun me if the Rockets were top five in pace again, and also the best offensive in the league. It's it, they're, they're they're going to play differently now. And I'd be remiss not to mention, uh, you know, adding Chris Paul does change your pace a lot too. Right, and that was the point. And your point in in, in a vacuum was like, hey, Harden is amazing. Like he was the best offensive player in the league, is playing super slow, and the best offensive player in the league. I mean, when he was their point guard, he led the NBA in assists. Like it's stupid. Like the guy is ridiculous. But I. I wanted so badly in my board predictions to predict that they were going to win the title. And I just don't think they're quite deep enough. I really don't because the problem is going to be, they're going to get every team's best shot and Harden's going to have to do so much with Westbrook. And they don't have a long sample to try to figure out like, okay, when somebody really figures out how to play Westbrook, like how do we counter? And if the counter just is all right, Harden reverts to shooting it a hundred times. Like, I don't know if that's going to work. I really wanted to do it. So my bold prediction is that, I feel like Daryl Morey has set up the back end of his roster to be able to make one more big move. And I'm not sure if the big move is like, hey, they're going to pay luxury tax and go get Kevin Love. Are they going to go get Gallinari? Are they going to go get Blake Griffin? I don't know what it's going to be. But I do think they're going to make one more larger move that people think is not possible because I don't think a lot of people look at their cap sheet. But again, the guys at Early Bird Rights do an awesome job. I think Morey has set it up to go get one more guy who can play 35 minutes in the playoffs. And so I think that's what's going to happen. I don't know who it's going to be. I want to revisit this when we get later in the year. But I think they still have one more person in terms of like reinforcements on the way to Houston. Because I think they know like we still need a wing. Mm. You backed off after the bold Brett Brown prediction. You back off the the Houston title prediction. I'll tell you this. In my for my own purposes, I was going to write a little post too about it. Ranking just power rankings, best teams in the league, one to thirty. Um, 
And the top is actually the hardest, to be honest. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the, the LA teams and you have Milwaukee, you have Philly, you have Houston, Golden State. Did you even. spend a lot of time debating Cleveland against Charlotte? I, so what, I swear to God, I was tech, I was about to text you. I wanted to save it maybe, but like Charlotte, Cleveland, who's the worst? I don't know. I was like torn on that. Um, that was one of my things. And you know what? Another one recently, Dallas and New Orleans too. That was like a difficult one. I think it's Cleveland. I think it's Cleveland. Anyway, go on. Yeah. You're going to like this, though. I think Houston's the best team. Um, and I'll give you an argument. I'll give you my argument. The best team in the last few years was Golden State, of course, uh, at full strength. And I don't think it was that close. Um, but I think in Houston's mind, like, they were, like, right there. And I think they were, you know, they won 65 games two years ago. They took Golden State to seven games. That series was not as close as that that number may suggest. But still, they were the second best team that year. And I think last year they almost treated themselves like golden state did where they kind of did not put the pedal to the metal in the regular season because they didn't care as much about the regular season anymore their defensive slippage was similar to golden state's defensive slippage because they were thinking like that's all that matters we have to be golden state they're like an obsessed you know fan correct uh, and they didn't get it done again i don't think they were the second best team last year in the league but still they're you know close to being title worthy and my question why i would default to them as the best team is i'm not sold that another team has jumped past them you know toronto got worse of course the lakers and the clippers got better but i haven't really seen evidence that those teams are now title worthy teams i don't think milwaukee is necessarily a title worthy team yet i would default to the team that's been probably second best team over the last two years combined is houston I think the mindset too is, and it's funny because Heraldus Volgaris tweeted this and he now works for the uh, Dallas Mavericks. If you guys don't know who that is, he was a very successful NBA better. And like I said, he's now a, a consultant or head of analytics for Dallas. I'm not sure what his actual title is. But he tweeted last year, like Golden State versus Houston was the best plan against the best talent. And I think like that's very clearly true. And that's not to, to like kind of criticize James Harden at all, but you know, your Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green team is better than. Harden and CP3 by a good margin, even if you think Harden is the best player in the series. And so I do agree with you that they may be the best team. They are, in my opinion, probably not one of the most, probably not one of the top like six or seven most talented teams. I just think that Harden is so generationally great that he elevates them. But I don't know what's going to happen. But I, I would, they're, they're 100% one of the five teams that should have the best odds to win the title. Because again, even if you don't love the fit with Westbrook and Harden, and I totally understand it, it's... And you, you know me, like I'm a Westbrook hater. Like, so for me to say that, like, I just look at it like Westbrook, he had like, you can't underrate how, undersell like how bad of a shooting year he had last year. I mean, he was just awful. Arguably the arguably the worst shooting year of all time, just considering volume. Like I know Ricky Rubio has had some worse years specifically, but given the volume of Russell Westbrook's offensive impact, like probably the worst shooting season of all time. Right. I mean, it's horrible. Um, so why would a team like that be better for adding this guy? I just think I hope for his sake. I've always thought his best role in the NBA is not to try to score thirty points a game. Like you know, be like super version of like Rajon Rondo when Rajon Rondo was good and like get instead of getting 30 10 and 10 you know get 15 15 and 15 or whatever it is you know like really try to reduce your <laughs> that's unrealistic but you know what I mean like be like the the glue guy x-factor almost like um 
you know, like Draymond Green, when Kevin Grant showed up, like basically said, like, I don't need to score. I'm like never going to score, you know, whatever. I'm, that's not my role. And Westbrook's not going to have that mindset, but just like take a significant step back in terms of your desire to score. And I think, that, you know, be that guy when Harden's resting. Um, then I think the fit makes sense. Here's, here's the one thing I will add on this. Mike D'Antoni, whether or not he's the head coach next year or not, they, they like made him get rid of a lot of his staff. Like Jeff Bizdelic has been very important is now with New Orleans. They let go of a bunch of other guys. It does feel like the Rockets are panicking a little bit, but Mike D'Antoni can flat out coach offense. Like, yes, James Harden is amazing. Russell Westbrook has never played with a coach close to as good as Mike D'Antoni is at coaching offense and finding fits for specific players. So I do think that is underselling how good these guys are as players, but I think D'Antoni is going to have some really good options for what to do with Russell Westbrook where people are going to be like, oh yeah, that's right. He was playing with Billy Donovan and Scott Brooks. Like no wonder he was a little bit worse on offense than he could be. And that's why, you know, just to go into league pass rating, like for me, this is, this is the, other than probably New Orleans, like they're the other A plus to me. Like they're just like, because you don't know what goes on, like I know the style of play is different. I want to just charge people to like watch them first this year before you just think like, oh, James Harden's going to get fouled in every possession. It's going to look different. Like they're going to be more up-tempo. They're going to be a little bit more exciting. They're still going to shoot a ton of threes. Like, but I do think like given the drama, given like I think this team is going to play with a crazy chip on their shoulder. I think as, as crazy bad as people think Westbrook could be for Harden, I think together these dudes are just going to go out and try to like just be Thanos, if you will, and just decimate everybody in their path. And I think that's really fun to watch. And so that's why for me, I'm, in, I'm into it. And, you know, it's the NBA is about, you know, depth and fit and everything like that. But it's sometimes it's just like, I remember growing up and watching Shaq, just like he was unstoppable. And Shaq and Kobe was like, the, the when they've won the first title, Shaq, Kobe was clearly like the second And then because open shots for everyone else, and then, you know, Robert Ory and Derek Fisher, like that was a good enough supporting cast to win the title. I see that with Houston. Like James Harden is so good as a scorer. And I don't think, you know, I think it's just a matter of like hacking the system and, you know, like trying a lot of threes and free throws, like good for him. He figured out like the hole in the system, the flaw in the, in the scoring structure of the NBA. I think guys like Daniel House and PJ Tucker and Eric Gordon, are like, are those guys going to hit their open shots? And if they do, this team's going to win the title. Yeah, I hope so. I, I like I said, I, I just think it's it's annoying to me when guys get rated on titles and like you're clearly rated a tear down because you don't end up winning, and you kind of you don't look at situation like to me like Russell Westbrook is not not yet one of the 25 best players of all time, and I don't know how close he is, but like the idea that people are just like you know Kobe Bryant is so much better than James Harden, like the stats just don't bear that out. Like yes, he has five rings, but like the stats don't bear out that he's way better like and Harden and peak Dwayne Wade are like in my opinion very close but I don't think that people really would rank Harden in front of Wade and that's because like Uh, yeah I agree with you in this sense like Harden I agree like I think Harden is on par with those guys his last his last five years has has truly been one of the greatest offensive five-year peaks in NBA history like absolutely but but the thing I depart from you is like I don't think Westbrook's a top 20 players so like I think Westbrook 
it's, it's just a matter of like managing his expectations. Well, like, I just sort of, I just sort of threw that out there. Like, I, I can't say you might at one point in your crazy life, you just did a post about like, what if every NBA lineup was like a set of aliens? <laughs> like, so you might actually rank the top hundred players of all time, like, and spend a lot of time on it. Like, I'm not going to do that. So I just threw it out there. Like Westbrook might not even be like a top 50 player of all time. But again, the guy did average a triple double for three straight years. He's won an MVP first team all league. Like it's a lot of numbers. Like he's a hall of famer. You know? A lot of narratives. Yeah. Okay. Right. But my point is, this is the group of guys, that, including Mike D'Antoni, who, who ultimately was the first guy to bring spread, pick and roll into the NBA the, with the Phoenix Suns. Like, this is the group of guys that I want to see validated this year. So, like, as I'm very excited for the Rockets, I would like to see them win, not because I'm a fan of the team, but because, like, I hate that guys get brought back down totally. to earth because they don't win titles. And I think this is a group of three guys, and Daryl Morey specifically, who also should get lumped in with this, that it benefits the most from winning a title. And that's who I want to see win the title this year. You know, it's funny that you touched on something that's like become my fandom because I, um, my family's not originally from LA. So I, I was never like a diehard fan in that sense, but like I became a fan, like anti-narrative fan. So like my favorite football player was like Peyton Manning. Cause he had like this, you know, he's not a winner and mentality for so long. And same with Kevin Durant. He had that same like rap against him, even though he's clearly a great player, he just needed like a title and he still hasn't gotten that sort of validation necessarily. So in that sense, I should like James Harden, like you do. Um, he's just, he's just annoying to me. <laughs> I, I don't root for him in the same way, but I mean, logically I should. People who get mad about the way James Harden plays, like it's totally fine with me. If you don't like watching him play, that's fine. I, I mean, cause I ultimately like sports are entertainment and we're, you know, we're now at the 90 minute mark. So I'm going to wrap this rant up and we'll rate the division and get out of here. But like, if you don't like the way James Harden plays, that's fine. You don't need to watch. I just, there, there is a difference between like, you don't like how James Harden plays and James Harden isn't amazing at basketball. You know, like that divide. Same thing with Peyton Manning. If you don't think Peyton Manning can win the big game, great. But that doesn't mean that Peyton Manning isn't unequivocally great at football and one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And I truly believe that about James Harden too. Just because like you don't like him pl- how he plays, he doesn't cheat. He's not gaming the system. He's just the best at doing the, the, the style of play that he plays. And I think like that's the issue with Houston where – I think if he were to win a title, his specific style of basketball and his kind no, of like totally, you know what it kind of reminds me of like I hate Tom Brady for the same reason because I'm like I always get frustrated at home. I'm like, God, these stupid NFL defenses, like they do not realize like guarding you can't guard Julian Edelman with a big slow linebacker. It's like so it's like so it's like a cheat in the system. It's so easy. But credit to him for taking advantage. I feel like Every James Harden. Every time, yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly right. All right, so let's rank the divisions real quick. Like, like let's rank them in the way that you think they're going to finish. Um, I'm, st- I'm still not sore. I'll, I'll just do the same, like, to be boring. Houston, San Antonio. I, I'm still not sold on whether Dallas or New Orleans. So I'm going to go New Orleans and then Dallas and then clearly Memphis last. All right, I got that. I'm going to go out of the – I think it's Houston. I think Dallas is going to finish second. I think it's going to be Houston, Dallas, San Antonio – New Orleans, Memphis. That's what I will I will take. Dallas over San Antonio is one of your bolder predictions, along with Brett Brown. You have two on the record now. I do just think Dallas. I, like Dalton I said, Holmes. That's your, thir- your three. You're on fire. I think Dallas is. I might have some inside information on Dalton Holmes. I don't have any inside information on Brett Brown. I will say that. But uh, the Dalton prediction is not totally out of nowhere. Uh, well-embedded moles inside of my organization. In your alt-right have given me have given me a lot of info. Uh, that is it for this week. We will do I, what I believe is the Atlantic Division next week. That is the Knicks and the Sixers. And, you know, that division will be probably very fun. Knicks, Sixers, Celtics, Nets, and Raptors should be a very fun division. 
Well, that'll be episode 60 of the NBA show. And then we will be back. You know, we're going to keep trucking on uh, once a week. Maybe crazy things happen. We go to twice a week. I don't know. But we'll be back next week. And uh, Zan, as always, oh, wait, sorry. I'm at CYS Tyler on Twitter. He is at Zan underscore Ellison. He is the same username on uh, Reddit if you want to read about aliens. And then uh, email the show, ZandrickEllison at gmail.com. But uh, Zan, as always, it's a pleasure. And we'll be back next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.